as we ask God for help this morning. Lord, I thank you so very much that you've not left us on this earth alone, but that you love us, that you care for us, that you've spoken to us through your word. And I ask today, would you please help us uh, to understand what it is that we read? Help us to be transformed by it. Help us to walk away changed. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, This morning, I'd like to uh, title our talk, What Are You Expecting? Uh, Those of you that were with us in 930 prayer uh, have heard me say this. I'm going to say it again. I really believe that as we have been, as a church, participating in this 40-day worship challenge, some of you have read the the book that we gave away, Unscripted, as we're setting aside time to be with the Lord uh, in this month, and every year in January we set aside 21 days Uh, to learn and grow in the areas of prayer and fasting as a church and be focused on God, to start our year more focused on God than anything else. I really believe that God is going to do something significant inside each of us and in us as a church family. I believe it. I believe it's going to be supernatural. I believe that it's an invitation to you and you have a choice to what degree you participate in it, but I believe that God is going to do something significant on the inside of you that then will bring change, positive change in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in our city. Does that sound good? I believe it's going to happen. And one of the things that I believe is going to take place is God is going to come and bring healing to us in the area of hope. In the area of expectation. God wants to come and heal what is bruised. God wants to come and bring resurrection life to what is dead. God wants to come and to speak new vision. To help you to dream dreams and to see visions. God wants to come and heal your ability to hope. And I understand what it is to hear words like that and not be stirred but instead be exhausted and tapped out. And I think I gave up, but I'm not really sure I came here anyway. I've been there before. I believe that this is a word of God for us as a church and a word of God for believers in Baltimore City. I have been involved in a number of prayer meetings with other pastors in the city of all different sorts, and we collectively have fasted and prayed over the past couple of months, and this is something that God is speaking to each of us, and this is something that God has spoken privately to me. This is something that I believe in this next 60 days is going to be our portion if we will get a hold of it, if we will respond to God. God wants to bring healing to our ability to hope. It's like a raising of the water level in a positive way. It's not something that you do. It doesn't involve you working harder. It doesn't involve strife. It doesn't involve stress. It doesn't involve doing stuff to try to prove something, to try to pretend that you are better. It doesn't involve a lot of hard work. It involves a humble submission to God, trusting God, setting aside things that are carnal, setting aside things that are distractions, setting aside those things, coming with a humble submission to the Lord, to trust God, to be more focused on God, than anything else. That's it. That's it. 
God does the heavy lifting. This concludes my prophetic word to you this morning. You receive it? Good. But what are you expecting? Now this, of course, is relevant to as we enter the Christmas season. And that means different things to different people. Not all of it good. And as we enter this holiday season, I want us to consider who Jesus is. Fight. Thank you. I knew it needed a little something extra. You go to this holiday season, I want us to consider who Jesus is, finding strength and joy. This, this Sunday, today, begins the traditional Christ, Christian calendar of Advent. Advent means coming, the coming of Jesus. It, it, historically, it was a way that Jesus' followers spent this time focused on the expectation of Christ's future return to earth. They also used this time to teach the meaning of their celebration of the birth of Jesus. It's a perfect season for us to slow down our daily life so that we can have time for our relationship with God. It should include our starting our day with 15 minutes of unscripted time with God. Our God is waiting for relationship time with us. You may or may not be aware Jesus was probably not born on December 25th. And he didn't look like Santa. He didn't give everybody a new car. And maybe Advent was not a part of your childhood like it was not for mine. But how could there be anything wrong with us setting aside some time and energy to think about what does the birth of Jesus mean to me personally and what does the future, do I have an expectation of when Jesus returns? Would you like for Jesus to return today? Part of me is yes and part of me is no. So let's think about some questions. Who is Jesus? Why does this matter? Does this bring you joy? In John, we get this truth. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That connects with what Ronald was sharing in communion about Passover. The Passover lamb. Now, I want to turn to John chapter 1, but briefly give you an introduction of who we are reading. Of course, I believe that God the Holy Spirit inspired John to write, but who the heck is John? So John is one of the three who followed Jesus most closely physically. He was kind of like always trying to be next to Jesus. John was the eyewitness of what Jesus did and said and how he talked, the tone of his voice. He watched him. He listened to him. John is also somebody who was transformed. John is somebody who repented of his sins, who was a sinful human, like you, like me. Forgiven, receiving forgiveness, like you, like me. Transformed, changed by this Jesus, like you, like me. 
But John saw him with his eyes, heard him with his ears. And then beyond that, God gave John amazing revelation that was based in part as he would have done Hebrew school and studied the Old Testament, but very familiar with the law, with the prophets, with the creation story, with the redemptive narrative of what God had done. God came and built upon his own study of the scripture and breathed revelation to him and spoke to him. And John writes things that are very helpful for us. Also, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John in your Bible and the book of Revelation of Jesus is the title. That's the John who writes this. And I kind of, John kind of writes, he starts this, John chapter 1, like the sci-fi version of the account of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like, they take this very, like, I'm writing the history book. And John, like, I'm going to show you the real deal. John brings in the sci-fi version of all that. Now, why is that happening? Because John is a pastor, a leader in the Christian church. And what has happened in the Christian church is there are people that have come from within that have a mixture. Some of them are good. Some of them are not good. Some have a mixture of good and bad. And what they've done is they've kind of stepped up with some teaching to say, hey, we are the ones who have true knowledge of God. And so what John does, instead of naming them and going down the list of all the things that they were teaching that was not true about Jesus. Instead, kind of like somebody looking at a crooked stick on the ground and saying, that's the straightest stick I've ever seen. Instead of saying, you're a fool, man, that thing is crooked like this. What John does is he quietly goes, he gets a very straight stick and he lays it down next to the crooked stick. And that is the style in which John writes this. And where did he get that style? Well, he got that style from Jesus. It was Jesus' flow, you know. You'll thank me later. All right. John chapter 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, that's a different John, half-cousin of Jesus, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, the one who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of Father's one and only Son. John testified about Him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about! When I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. 
From His abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He came right out and said, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave or untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and the rest is the one who will, bapt- who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. I'm thankful for God's word. I want to... Help us answer these questions this morning in just a few minutes from straight from the text. Uh, you, you may or may not be aware, but we today have in human possession hundreds of copies of this letter that date back to the time it was written. We have more historical scientific proof that these words have veracity than we do that President John F. Kennedy Jr. was killed. And he's dead. We must wrestle with this text if we are going to take an honest look at what we believe about human history. Because Jesus was a good moral teacher until he revealed himself as Messiah. And then there was a turning point in human history. And we must make a decision. Was he a lunatic? Was he a liar? Or will I receive him as Lord? Like I said, John gives us this science fiction kind of description about Jesus, but I think there are some things that are really important for us to consider. Jesus is the living word. 
We could talk about this for years. The Logos, the living Word of God. But we have this mysterious revelation that John gives to us that before the beginning of chronological time, Yahweh God, the Father, said, let there be light. And when God spoke, Jesus is and was and forever will be the spoken living Word of God. Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, the mouthpiece of God. Jesus, it was, Jesus was in the spoken word of God. It's a mystery to us because words are not entirely good things in this world. But this is a different dimension that this occurs in. It's a spiritual dimension. Jesus is the living word. And what we see established here and in many other scriptures, Jesus pre-existed the creation of the galaxies, our earth, our sun, our moon, our planets, our stars. Jesus predated all of that. He was there with the Father in that moment. And He is light. Jesus is light. The last, recently we've talked about God's love being forever faithful. Did you recognize those, those words in this description of Jesus? We talked about how God's love is eternal. It will outlast any challenge we face. But think about this. Jesus fully God, fully human, lived a human life, is eternal and predates his consciousness, predates our life. He has been observing. He has been watching. He has been near the Father. He is more aware of what Father God thinks and feels than anyone else. So not only is God's love eternal and will outlast your problems, Jesus predates your problems. What are you expecting? What are you expecting? Who are you looking to as Savior? Who is it? Who is this Jesus? Well, He is eternal. The living Word of God. Who is pre-exist... He's a pre-existing condition. In a good way. He's eternal. I love this phrase that you see in in John chapter 1. He gave life to everything. Think about that. Every plant, every animal, every human, every microorganism. He gave life to everything. We, we want to observe things, and, and I believe that God originates the scientific method even of, of wanting to observe so that we can learn, so that we can grow in knowledge, and I believe that God is in that. But think about this, scientists are discovering as they shoot photons and, and atoms and do all this stuff, that atoms don't always act the same way. And there's New scientific writing about the how random our universe is. 
how even on an atomic scale, we can't always predict it. We don't always know what is going to occur. The best that science has to offer, you does not know, cannot predict how an atom will respond when we shoot photons at at each other. Sounds like paintball when I read about it. So the universe is both more expansive and ever expanding than we are able to fully comprehend, even in the best of the the authors and physics that are writing about it. And in the microscopic of microscopic, it is also beyond our understanding. Now, I think we should continue to pursue knowledge. But I think we should also consider what Christmas is supposed to be about. What are you expecting? Who is this Jesus? Is he just a good moral teacher to you? Is he just a box that you check and like spiritually, okay, I can be forgiven, I can feel better about the bad stuff I did? Or is he beyond your imagination? I submit to you that there is proof he is beyond your human comprehension. And he is worth your examination. He is worth for you to get up and every day learn something new about Jesus. I want to suggest that when life feels like it has become too much or too dreary, it is because we are not investigating Jesus. He gave life to everything. He brought light to everyone. But watch this now. He was not recognized. And yet, they rejected him. Even people to whom he revealed his identity rejected him. People who saw him perform miracles walked away from him. There is no one in this room who has been more abandoned, more rejected, more betrayed than Jesus. Whatever you have experienced in life, Jesus knows. He understands. And when he walked this earth, he wasn't aloof, independent, indifferent from the human experience of emotion. He had a full human experience. He had been there since the beginning. And they rejected him. And yet we can go through a day distracted. We can reject him. Jesus has specific words about that. He gave life to everything, brought light to everyone. He was eternal, pre-existed the living word. He was not recognized and yet rejected. And I think... It's reasonable for us with what we know about the life of Jesus to know that he would have prayed the Psalms. 
Uh, if you use YouTube, I particularly like the series called The Bible Project, and they just recently did one, and just an introduction, just a three to five minute introduction on the book of Psalms. I strongly recommend it. Very concise, very helpful on the book of Psalms. Jesus, that would have been his song book. His prayer book would have been the Psalms. And Psalm 139, I think, is a psalm that you could read every day. It's a psalm, I've said before, I could preach every week and it, we would have something new, something good to, to come out of it. I believe that Jesus watched when David in his life experienced the things that he experienced and he watched as David, kind of like Rich Mullins, wrote songs and went over the lyric and over the lyric and over the lyric and refined it and refined it and refined it and wrote words that were deeply passionate about life that was deeply difficult and challenging and then would, would be able to freely, without any paper, without any cue, be able to just sing the song completely from memory. Rich Mullins would come into his record producer to record a label and then to give him the lyrics and he'd come in and it would all be verbatim from memory. They were always shocked because everybody else had a notebook of all their lyrics. And he said, if it's worth singing, it's worth memorizing. See, I think Jesus had these words memorized and he watched David go through it and he understood it and it's beautiful. Check this out. He says about God, you go before me and you follow me. You know, let let me go back and read it. Because this this, uh, abbreviation of it is inadequate. Psalm 139 and verse 5. Uh, I'll go back to the beginning. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I am far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Jesus was there in your beginning. He knows you better than anyone else. And here's the thing we got to be really careful with. We say, oh, God knew exactly how I was going to respond. I don't think that fully jives with Scripture and the right doctrine of free will. God has created everything. He knows you better than anybody else, but he does give you a choice. And that's why the psalmist says, he goes before me. He has prepared things for me. He has prepared life for me. He has made it possible for me to have life. He has the full knowledge, but he also has given me an opportunity to make a decision. And he also follows me in the decisions that I make. He is with me in every single moment. And I think the psalmist also rightly says, this is too great for my comprehension. Because every human brain in here just stripped some gears a little bit trying to figure that one out. Right? But what he's saying is, is that God is in it all. God's capacity is beyond our human reason capacity. He's saying, God has always been with me. I looked back on the days of my life and I saw that God was always with me. In fact, I saw that God had prepared away from me. In fact, I saw that God was not surprised by anything. God was not surprised by the decision that I made. God was not surprised 
by the emotions that I had. God was not surprised by my thoughts. God was not surprised by my words. And God was there with me in it. In Revelation, you see, it's like a voice behind me telling me whether to turn to the right or turn to the left. God followed me. That is who Jesus is. So, He is the one, John 1 says, through whom God's unfailing love and forgiveness came to us. We just looked at Psalm 136. Yada Yahweh, Ki Tobay, Ki Chesed Olam. Throw your thanks to God. He is good. His faithful love lasts forever. Faithful love. Remember, we just looked at that. That was how they knew him. That was how they repeated it back to him when his presence came and filled the temple and they were overwhelmed. It was a primary characteristic of God. Kaset olam. Your faithful love will last forever. It will, it has always been, it is now, and it will always yet be. It was a main characteristic of God. And what do we see in John chapter one? Jesus revealed the kaset olam. Jesus revealed the forever love of God to us. But what do we learn from John chapter 1? Well, just a couple of things. First, Jesus brought life, brought uh, the faithful love of God to us. This is, Jesus represented God to us. I think that everything about Jesus informs us about God. His humble birth, his predicted birth, God's sovereignty and the prophecies about his birth. God's sovereignty and the prophecies about how he would die, about the meaning of his death, about the meaning of his burial, about the meaning of his resurrection. Everything about it shows a prepared gift, a prepared miracle for us, this Messiah. And the humanity of it, if he was rejected, everything about Jesus represents God to us Jesus brought the faithful love of God to us. And second, Jesus represents us to Father God. Who knows the human life better? Because any one of us is only living one single human life. And we learn about human life from others, sure, but that is not even close to a full comprehension of the human life. Who knows the human life better than someone who has been watching since the beginning? It said the Bible reveals to us that Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Jesus prays for us here and now. He prays for us in the heavenlies to the Father. He speaks from a place of knowledge of what the human life is like. John continues, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. I believe that one of the things God wants to heal in every one of us is our identity. God wants to reshape and form a right sense of identity in you. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. I like this in wrapping up his letter. John, who is at this, at this stage getting older in life and other historical documents write about how he often referred 
very fondly to his disciples as little kids. He says this, We know that the Son of God has come. And He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And we now live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the one, He is the only true God and He is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. As John would have often prayed the Lord's Prayer that He gave to him, would keep us from temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, from anything that would take the place of you in our hearts. So, what should we do? Well, my suggestion is that we receive and respond. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Believe that He is your way to eternal life. Confess your sins. God already knows. Plainly state where you have been wrong. Confess your need for a Savior. Ask for forgiveness, for cleansing. In belief that Jesus is your way. By faith, receive the grace of God. I compel you. The Word of God compels you. The Holy Spirit compels you. Receive Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior. And respond. How do we respond? Well, Jesus said the starting point, Matthew 22, 37-40, love God with all you've got. And love your neighbor in the same way you take care of yourself. I think that's why they followed the words of Jesus in Matthew 28 when he said, go and urge as many people as possible, all types of people from all nations, to become followers of Jesus. That our reasonable response is to be ready to share Jesus with the people in our life. But if it is some cold information, if it is some sliver of truth, won't be very attractive. If you, in your life, have found it to be transformative, if you are curious, if you are investigating who this Jesus is, what's happening inside of you will naturally come out. You will be contagious. Let's stand and close in prayer. Thank you, God, so very much. You loved us. You showed us real love by sending your son Jesus for us. While we were yet sinners... You sent Jesus for us, the one who has always existed. Thank you, God. Today, Lord, we receive Jesus as Savior. Please forgive us. Please cleanse us. Please strengthen us. Please help us have our spiritual eyes open, our spiritual ears hearing you, to follow you where you would have us to go. Please help us to love our neighbor in the same way we care for ourselves. Please help us to share 
your love with others. Lord, please help us to share you, to urge others to become followers. God, I thank you that in this life, you are quick and ready to forgive all our distractions, all our weaknesses. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you know the human life and you intercede to the Father for us. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, we love you today. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.